Uh, my name is Jonathan. Wow. Let's lighten up, guys. Come on. We just sang some beautiful music to our Lord. Uh, now we're going to read his word. Um, open your Bibles, please. We are in uh, the book of John, chapter 9. Uh, and we're going to read together. So read along with us, please. All right, here we are. John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Thank you. Uh, let me pray, and you may be seated. Lord, would this miracle be also true for this morning? Lord, we pray that the eyes of our hearts would be given sight. The eyes of our minds, the eyes of, yeah, maybe even our bodies. Uh, Lord, would we... Um, have open eyes to see you more clearly, see ourselves more clearly, see one another more clearly, and be transformed by your healing power. Pray that you do that now, just like you did that thousands of years ago. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. <clears throat> My name is Jonathan. I'm not Randy Drawn. Uh, you can pray for him. He's on his way back. Um, he and Renee were able to get some time away, so we're very glad for that, and I'm very glad to be here preaching. Um, I am the pastor and church planter of our Napier congregation of Midtown. Ah, yes. Thanks, guys. Um, and, you know, something, something really special for us happened last week, and uh, it's also a great intro to this, this whole story, because, y'all, Jesus, <laughs> like, this series has just been Jesus encountering problem after problem after problem, Right? I mean, like we had a blind man story last week. We have another one this week. There were two weeks back to back of Jesus encountering someone um, oppressed and possessed and, and, and taken control of by a demon. I mean, it's just problem after problem. And, and last week in Napier, we, were, um, we hosted, our, our church hosted a, uh, a community like listening, well, I guess it was like a, a city listening session and a community like advocacy session. Um, there is a, uh, many of you are probably familiar with the East Bank Development Project that's supposed to be happening around the Titan Stadium. Billions and billions and billions might be the, the biggest single development in Nashville history. Well, there's like a, there's not like a, there is a bridge, like a super highway sort of thing that is a part of that development that a lot of people don't know about, but it's it's supposed to be terminating in Napier. Um, I could 
talk a lot about that. That could be the whole talk today, but that's not the point of why we're here, but it, it, it's going to have a big impact on my community. And so part of what we as a body, church is the body of Christ, so the body does work in its community for the sake of its community to deal with the core concerns of its community. Well, one of the core concerns in the Napier community is this bridge and the fact that it could have massive development and, and reconstruction consequences for the neighborhood. And so we were hosting this time for the community to come and I mean, in many ways, just air their grievances with a project like this that has never been, was never communicated, was never, uh, the community has not been sought out for its input. So it matters. And, and y'all, it was, <laughs> it was beautiful on the one hand, but it was just a, a, a cascading stream of, well, let me tell you about this problem that we're facing. And let me tell you about this problem that we're facing. And let me tell you about how for five years we've been fighting to get um, crosswalk lines painted across the library so kids can walk across the road to get to the library and it hasn't happened. And now there's this massive development coming in, just, just problem after problem after problem. And it was overwhelming. I'm just sitting there and I, I live in the community. I'm a pastor in the community. I, I deal with the issues that are happening, the pain that's being experienced in the community day to day, and it was overwhelming. And I feel a lot like I think the disciples probably feel when they're around Jesus. Because what we have here in this story is another situation, another human being. Let's not forget, this is, this is the story of one man who was blind from birth. Yet another problem that Jesus is faced with. And I think the disciples by this point are starting to get a little bit burnt out. Maybe I'm projecting my last Thursday on them. But I really believe that they're beginning to feel this way because they're just faced blindness, <clears throat> lameness, demons, skin diseases, people, people that are captive to all kinds of issues, people that are um, oppressed by all kinds of things the castaways, all of these are the kind of people that are orbiting around Jesus. He's like, a, like, like, the, you know, like the sun with all of this stuff mag, you know, being like a magnet to him. And one of my mentors has been helping me to change my language from problem to pain. Thank you for erasing that, Chad. I'm about to write up there. Um, to change my language from problem to pain. Because oftentimes, what I just said, all these things I can describe as problems, but let's be honest, they're painful. Can we just say that? Can we just say the only reason a problem is ever a problem is when it's painful? If it's not painful, trust me, it's not a problem. You're not telling anyone about it. You're not bringing that issue to anybody. You only do that when you sense that there's pain involved, some kind of you know, emotional, psychological, like an issue you're trying to work out, something you're grinding on. Or yes, of course, physical pain. It's the pain that we experience. It's the pain that at the end of the day matters to us. It's the pain that mattered to this man. And the thing about Jesus is it's not just that he just kind of waltzed into the world and oh no, what is going on? There's all these people with pain around me. No, from the very beginning, from the Old Testament, when Jesus and his life, the fact of the Messiah coming, when that was being prophesied and foretold, guess what was being described? Pain. In Luke 4, Jesus opens up a scroll from the prophet Isaiah and he says, this, what you have been reading for thousands of years, this is now me. And what is it that he read? The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to what? go into pain. Proclaim good news to the poor. Pain. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Pain. Recovery of sight for the blind. There it is. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was called. His entire strategy, the point from the beginning, the mission was pain. So let's talk about pain for a little bit. I found out I'm a lot stronger than Randy because I keep breaking these little ones. We're going to try again. Okay, pain. What do we do with pain when we experience pain? Well, I think we do exactly what the disciples did. It says, as he passed by, verse 9, he saw a man blind from birth. And it gives us this detail of the kind of pain. This is like chronic congenital pain. This man was born with blindness. His entire life was experienced with blindness. He was an infant that was blind. He was a a child that was blind. He was running around with other kids or or not because he was blind. His entire life all the way to this point, this this some some, form of mature adulthood was experienced with this pain of this debilitating disability. And so what do the disciples do? Well, like they always do, they go to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, help us understand this, please. Can, can you help us deal? Can you help us in our burnt outness with all this, this, these problems and all this pain that we're experiencing? And so they say, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And isn't that interesting? The first thing we notice is what they do is they come to him with a question, which is oftentimes what we do first with pain, is we're experiencing pain in our bodies or in our minds. We're we're, we're under the experience of pain, and so we have to deal with it in some way. And cognitively, mentally, what do we do? We try to understand it. That's like our first line of defense. I mean, maybe if it's like a scrape, I want to like stop it from hurting, but the first thing I want to do is what? When I trip, I turn around. What tripped me, right? Where's the crack? Like, what's the cause of the pain that I'm in? Or I do what the disciples do. I say, who can I blame? So with our pain, we immediately go down and we're asking, why? And what you see with the disciples is there's usually two options. Who is the cause of this is usually either me. Who's to blame? Is it me? Is it my fault? Or someone else? See, there we go. The you, you know? Is it my fault or is it your fault? And they name it very specifically because they use the word sin. They say, who sinned? Whose sin caused this man's pain? Was it his sin? Well, if we're putting ourselves in the story, when we feel pain, we ask, what did I do? Did I do something? What's wrong with me? Or what did you do? Right? In both cases, I'm trying to assign blame. I'm blaming, and that's not always a bad thing, right? It's part of this process of discerning the why and the how. I'm trying to understand it. Trying to comprehend why I'm in pain because understanding, answering the questions, comprehending it in some form gives me some relief. It just does. We can acknowledge it. That's the reason why you do it. When I trip over the crack and I skin my knee, it helps me a little bit to go, ha! Like that's what did it. It helps the pain. Let me pause for just a second, and I want to take like a slight kind of tangent, but I think this is a good 
story in scripture uh, with which to dig into this just a little bit, because I think this is important. I think, I believe we have a very reductionistic, immature, oversimplified view of sin. I can tell you a lot of reasons why I think it is. I think it's human nature. It's sin itself that gives us a very oversimplified, immature view of sin. One of the ways we can see that is the way that traditionally religion has taught what sin is. Another way to say it is the way the church has taught us to think about what sin is. And how is that? Well, sin is bad things I do, right? The sins, like what are the sins I've committed? That's, that's the way we typically, and sometimes that's the only way we see sin is what is the bad thing that either me or you did? That's it. That's what we think about sin, which is why the disciples say, well, who was it? Who sinned? And in this time, this is crazy, guys. In this time, in Judaism at this time, there were views that a child, an infant, excuse me, an unborn child could commit sin inside of his or her mother's womb and would feel the effects of that when they were born, which is why they asked for this man who was born blind, right? It said very clearly, he was born blind. Did he sin? So they even believed there was a way that you could sin inside the womb. I'm not saying that's wrong. There's some Psalms that that seem to talk about how even within our mother's womb, before we're even born, the the sin has taken effect on us. So that's, that's why they're bringing this to him. Or they look at the mother and they say, well, what did she do to cause her son to be born? Blind. You see how it's all about What's causing the pain? Well, if it's sin, then what's the bad thing that I did? Very reductionistic view of sin. Not untrue, though, because it is true. Sin can cause uh, effects. There is punishment for sin. There are things that you do when you sin. There are consequences for that. But that's not the whole story, because Jesus essentially is saying, well, who sinned? Yes, that's who sinned. I'll lower that. Y'all can see it a little bit better. The answer is yes, because sin is not just the bad things that we commit. Sin is a force in and of itself. Sin is a corruption. Sin is a disease. Sin is a, is a rot. All these nasty words that describe this thing that is a power and a force in and of itself. When Adam and Eve sinned, What happened to them to get them to sin? There was a temptation, right? There was the devil. Some interesting, I I don't know exactly how it all went down, but the Bible says there was this, this force, this embodiment of what is wrong, what is against God that came to Adam and Eve and it entered them. There's some way that out of that place, then they did actually commit an act of sin. But sin in of itself is not so much an individual guilt or an individual culpability, it's also corporate. It's also worldwide. Scripture teaches that sin is even in the natural world. It's why things die. It's why we have a deteriorating world. Sin is much bigger than just these individual acts that we commit. You know, I mentioned Napier. Many of the the problems, okay, let's go back to that word problem. Many of the problems people were expressing and the pain that they were experiencing from those problems had nothing to do with individual sins that they committed. Some of them do, for sure. We're always 
again, we're always guilty and culpable for the things that we do. I'm not saying that's not true, but I'm saying there's way more to it. A lot of the issues that people in Napier are facing are this force of sin, this systemic sin, this this way that people that live in poverty are oppressed. They are oppressed by their poverty. They're oppressed by the things that have been done to them. They're also oppressed by their own sins, okay? So we, we, we have to, I'm passionate, we have to begin to um, back up a little bit and recognize the power and the, the, the pervasiveness of sin in our world. And so when the disciples come to Jesus with a very reductionistic or immature view of sin, well, who sinned? Was it him? Was it parents? Jesus, say, Jesus says, whoa, whoa, wait a second. The answer is yes, right? Sin happened. But let me tell you something different. So what is it that Jesus does when, when the disciples and Jesus encounter this man in pain? When they encounter yet another expression of the pain of this world that we've been talking about, they want answers, they want to understand, because they want to help the pain. But here's the thing, understanding where it comes from, even saying, oh yeah, it's sin, that doesn't heal the pain, does it? When you've experienced pain, as you are experiencing pain right now, let me ask you, does understanding it, does someone explaining it to you, heal it? No. Now it can help. I'm not saying that that's not an important journey to go on. I'm not saying that journeying to understand and and even begin to assign some blame That all can be part of healing, can be part of helping, but it doesn't heal. What Jesus does is he says, listen, y'all, I'm the light of the world. You notice there in verse uh, five, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. That's the second time he said that in two chapters. Chapter eight is the most famous, I am the light of the world. So this whole couple chapters is, is we're supposed to read it with this understanding of Jesus is coming as the light of the world. So what happens when light shines on something? Well, it's obvious. It, it, it allows you to see it better. It allows, it, it allows you to see it more clearly. So if Jesus' light is beginning to shine on pain, what does that mean? It means that he might not be helping us to answer all the questions or he might not be taking away all the misunderstanding, but he is saying, let me reveal to you something that you could not see before in your pain. The other thing pain does is it, is it just, it, it ignites the brilliance in something. Or excuse me, the other thing light does is it ignites the brilliance in something. It, it, it reflects the beauty. It, it, it makes things shine that are glorious. So Jesus' response to the pain and Jesus' response to the disciples' question is to say, I am the light of the world. Let me teach you a different way to see pain. And we get it in verse three. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the thing that the light of the world teaches us to see in our pain is glory. That is the eye-opening moment for the disciples and for us in our pain, is that Jesus says, when you see pain, when you think about pain, when you experience pain in yourself or in another, I want you to go to glory. Feels pretty counterintuitive, doesn't it? I'm glorious about pain. Pain hurts. I hate pain. I don't want any more pain. 
I want to stop the pain. And Jesus says, there's glory there. So what does he mean? He says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Glory is when God goes on display. That's what glory is. Glory is when light shines on something beautiful and it just explodes. That's glory. Glory is when the light shines on something that's brilliant and beautiful and it, expo- it exposes and it explodes in this like almost unbelievable way, the beauty, the magnificence, the power of something. And Jesus is saying that is exactly what your pain does for him, is it explodes his glory. How is that helpful? How is that a wonderful thing for us? Well, in this case, for this man, what does it mean? He was healed. Don't forget, Jesus heals this man. And you might be going, well, yeah, I know. That's like the stuff he did back then. Like that's when he actually did miracles. Guys, Jesus, trust me, he does miracles every day. He does healings like this. I know I'm Presbyterian. Trust me, I I believe Jesus miraculously heals people all the time. And I'm not just talking about through doctors. He does that too. I'm saying like he goes out of his way to do supernatural healing of problems and pain. And every time he does it through natural means, it's also a miracle. So Jesus is healing all the time. But that's not the only way that our pain explodes his glory. In Isaiah 53, it says this. He says, I carry your pain. I bear your pain. Verse four of Isaiah 53, surely he has borne, which means to carry our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, which means he was, he was so covered over in our pain that we looked at him and said, he has to be stricken by God. He did something wrong. God has put his, this suffering on him, and that's not what happened. He's putting our suffering on himself. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, And listen to this, with his wounds, we are healed. Understanding, knowledge, answering your questions, assigning blame, it doesn't heal your pain. Jesus taking on your pain heals your pain. So what Jesus is saying here is in your pain, disciples, let me show you, let me, let me show you how I can do this like that with this man. I will physically heal him. But that is just a picture of what happens when you bring your pain to me. All the pain you have, disciples, all the pain you have, people that are watching, when you bring your pain to me, watch me carry it on myself and heal it. Watch me explode my glory when you have the courage and the humility to get out from under your pain and say, Jesus, it hurts, it's here, I've got it. I'm not even expecting it's gonna go anywhere, but let me please give this to you because I can't carry it. That is glory, his glory. So in many ways, the whole point of this story, the whole reason Jesus does this, and in fact, a little aside, the reason why I think he does the kind of weird trick with the mud, you're probably wondering about that. You're like, when's he gonna, how's he gonna teach me what, what's going on with this like spitting in the mud? Kind of gross. I've read a lot of commentaries. The answer is that nobody really knows. And trust me, when you read enough commentaries about something and they all pretty much say we don't know, that means they really don't know. Because Bible scholars can be really arrogant and think that they 
can figure out the answer. Well, they're all saying we don't know, but let me tell you what I think it is. It's, he's, Jesus is just magnifying this miracle. Did he have to put mud on this guy's eyes to heal him? Did it just so happen that, well, this time, oh, I guess I got to use the mud. I don't got enough like, power juice in the tank. Got to like mix some mud. And No, he, he clearly didn't put the mud on the guy's eyes because it was necessary for him to be healed. He did it to make this just a more almost like bizarre and grand display of his power. So people are going, what? That was the, the mud thing. Like that happened. And the guy that had the mud on his eyes and the whole thing was this ritual to, I think, to just accentuate the fact that Jesus was doing something so that everyone would look at him. Because if you notice, what's the very last line in the text? They said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So this story ends, and it doesn't actually end because the rest of the story is almost better than, than this part. This is the part we're preaching on this morning. The story ends here with everybody looking for Jesus because that's the point. Pain is a neon sign pointing us to Jesus to display his glory. Let me tell you, it gets better than that because that's not it. If it was just to display God's glory, then I think we could say, okay, all right, my pain is so that God is more glorious. Okay, I love God. I love his glory, so I'll just like suffer through my pain. Thankfully, the Bible doesn't leave us there. Okay, that's not the point as a whole. It could be because Jesus is beautiful enough. He is glorious enough for my pain to make him more glorious. But it's even better than that because what does it mean that Jesus carries our pain, that he bears our sorrows, that he literally came in for 30 years of his life, a good full stretch of life, he experienced all the pain that you have. Because it's not just that he takes the pain so that he's more glorious. When he puts the pain on himself, it actually heals it. When I look at the glory of Jesus, I see the pain of Jesus. Because the first thing that Jesus does when he takes all of our pain is he goes to the cross. And I know you're thinking, well, he already went to the cross. And that's what I mean. Every time you bring your pain to Jesus, he is bringing it to the cross because the work he did on the cross is sufficient for you, for me, for everyone, for all time. So when Jesus saw this man, and I just can't, I have to imagine, because his heart is way softer than mine, that he always experienced these pains in these people like they're fresh. It was never like, well, here we go again. So I'm just imagining that in his heart, he's just as grieved for this man's blindness as he was for Bart's blindness last week and the demon-possessed man's issues and everything else. He meets them with care and compassion and grief. So he took on our pain and he went to the cross for this man. And he went to the cross for you. And so when we see the glory of Jesus, it's not just this like bright shining light, Jesus on a throne, it's the darkness of Jesus on the cross. Because it's at the cross where he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastisement that brought us peace, the the blame, chastisement is another word for blame, the blame that was put on him brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So let's get practical for a second. Because that sounds great and very spiritual. Let's get really practical. What does it mean that he heals our pain? Well, we can strike one answer uh, right away. Uh, It doesn't mean that all the pain goes away. Healing his pain must mean something different. Remember, he's saying, I'm the light of the world. I'm teaching you to see the economy of my kingdom in totally different terms where pain is actually glory. 
So it doesn't just mean that the hurt stops hurting. It means that something else happens. It means that, that now my pain, the pain of it, the pain of my pain actually becomes a way of experiencing glory that I would not have if I wasn't in pain. It actually means, I, I, trust me, there's no easy way to say this because you're always going to be able to say, well, yeah, but it still hurts. And I'm saying, yes, it does. But what happens is the pain actually becomes a thing that makes me experience the glory, the love, the beauty, and the healing of Jesus in ways that I could not experience if I wasn't in pain. And so it also means that if you have been successful in protecting yourself from pain, you're actually missing out on some of the greatest gifts that God's given you. It means right now that if your life has been built to protect yourself, to, to wall yourself off from, suf- from suffering, from discomfort, from whatever it is, whatever pain you're afraid of, if you have built the walls, and trust me, I understand it is human nature to do that. This passage is telling you, tear those walls down. Go to Jesus with your pain, which number one starts with acknowledging it. Starts with being honest about it. Starts maybe with some of that journey of why and understanding it and then getting to the bottom and going, okay, well, that was good. But the answer is yes. It's everybody's fault. It's all of us. We're all in it. And then taking that pain to the glory of your Savior who bore that for you. So that's practical. What I'm saying is that there is a way in the Christian life as you are maturing in Jesus, and I don't, it doesn't happen like that. It is a process, but there's a way that pain I'm not even gonna say it becomes less painful, but pain becomes this super highway, like that bridge they're trying to build in the Napier, it becomes this bridge for meeting Jesus and reaching Jesus. Paul talks about this. If you think I'm lying, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul calls something in his life a thorn. What is a thorn? Painful. <laughs> I stepped on glass a couple months ago, spent two hours digging this thing out of my foot. It hurt so bad. (laughs) The glass in your foot, Paul calls the glass in your foot the suffering that Jesus uses to display his power and glory in your life. In verse seven, I think, Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Guys, this is crazy. He literally says, to stop you from being proud and conceited, to stop you from falling asleep in this life, to stop you from thinking you actually have the power to control your life, Jesus says, or Paul says, to keep me from becoming that way because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, I guess, that he'd received, he thought it was so great, a thorn was given me in my flesh. Which I think he literally means a physical thing that hurt. A messenger of Satan to harass me. This says, God sent Paul a messenger of Satan. Guys, this is upending all of our good theology. Why? To be, he says again, to keep me from becoming conceited. Verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So it's okay to say, Lord, please take this away. Remember, Jesus did that too, right? At the garden, he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, which is telling us that as much as your brain and your body tells yourself pain is a wrong thing, a bad thing, a thing to be avoided, Jesus is saying, your pain is the avenue to my glory and your healing.
crazy, but it's, it's that clear. It is not more complicated than that. It is more painful, but it's not more complicated. It's, it's, it's redefining, it's, it's taking these words that we've associated with certain things and have made up our minds what they mean, and Jesus is saying, let me shine light on this. Let me open your eyes, blind people. Let me heal your eyes so that you can see your pain in a different way. And it happened to Paul. Because therefore, after that, Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. We can become people who actually can boast in our pain. Boast in the weakness that we feel when our pain hurts and we say, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to do it. I don't know if I can even take another step in this pain. Paul says, weakness is the place we find the power of Christ. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, all the sins that other people do. I'm content with these things. Because he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Y'all, it's an upside-down kingdom God is inviting you into. Where pain is glory, where powerlessness is power. Because it's all pointing us to Jesus. It's not true without him. It can't be true on your own. There is no processing of your own pain that will get you here. That is part of the journey. It's Jesus that heals you. So our pain is a pathway to his glory. We come to his glory. He takes us back to his pain. And then our pain and his pain, when we see it, takes us back to glory because the pain is not going to go away, but the glory does get bigger and bigger. And I'll leave you with this. This would all be beautiful, I hope. hope it sounds beautiful. It feels beautiful to me. This would all be beautiful, but it's even more beautiful because what we're talking about is still all within these days that we have to live. But there's something else coming, right? We are promised perfect healing, complete healing. No more blindness, no more disabilities, no more suffering, no more pain of trauma that we've experienced. We are promised a time when all of that will actually be gone. And that's not wishful thinking. That is true. It's coming. And so the same Paul that talked about the weakness of his thorn and how it was strength for him, he also, go read 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, all of these things, these are just the first fruits. In other words, this sin and pain is actually a tree that's producing all kinds of fruit. And these fruits that come with being with Jesus in your pain, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are just the first fruits. You're about to taste some fruit of my peace and my glory that you've never experienced. When all of the pain, I don't know if we'll forget it. My sense is we probably won't forget it. Somehow it'll just make the glory we're experiencing in heaven that much sweeter. And so we can look for that day. We can, we can look forward, trust me. I have never looked forward to heaven so much as I have in the last few years of my life. And I think that's just natural. The older we get, assuming we're continuing to walk deeper with Jesus, the more beautiful heaven becomes and the more appropriate it is for me to be anchored here while looking forward to that. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this word. Thank you for these stories, uh, real stories of healing that give us such a beautiful display and statement of your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. Um, 
It was, it was out of love that you bore our pain, and it's out of love that you say, children, hold it. Hold it even precious and bring it to me. So Lord, help this community do that, and help it do it together so that the very appropriate journey of our pain can be something that we can use for the healing of others. We love you. You pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.